If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Acts. Um, There should be a Bible in front of you if you don't have one or look on with somebody. Um, We are just coming out of our series in Ephesians called it Vintage Community, studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and and it was a wonderful series. We have it all online, and so go back and and be encouraged by the practicality of that, and, and you'll see how much this series that we're moving into applies from also Ephesians 2, what we're going to learn here in Acts, and, and so it's wonderful how God's word, word supports itself in that way. And so we're calling this three-week series Missio Day or God's Mission, and so uh, if you would stand with me now as we read together, we're going to be in verse 1, we're going to read to verse 8. This is Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are wonderful and mighty. You've given life to the undeserved sinner, and now we can pray to you as through Christ, our mediator. Let us bless your holy name as we continue in worship. Reveal to us by your spirit what your word says, that no other thoughts would take us captive right now except ones for you and what is true. May the gospel be taught and received, and that those who are in Christ be encouraged, and that those who are far off would be regenerated and saved from death to life here and now. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. We can often approach Scripture with the wrong mentality. And it's my temptation, and I know if I'm tempted by it, it's not uncommon to mankind, to read or hear the Word of God and figure out how it applies to the life I'm already living. What circumstance or problem we're facing, how can what the Bible says come into that? How can I bend or shape it, conform it to fit my lifestyle So the Bible says really what I want to say, when in fact, Scripture is the opposite. See, Scripture conforms our lives to to what God wants us to do, what he's instructed us to do, how we ought to live in every single aspect. It's not for complimenting the lives we've chosen to live. It rejects the worldly life, and it's not merely suggestions, and it's not partially true. So I say that because I want to start this short little series on the mission of God that we must understand our wrong preconceived notions of Scripture. So please, start adhering to the Word of God, which is the bread of life. Do not bend it or take samples from it to fix the problems in your life, but be saturated in it. And know that God has given it to us for our good in love that we may look more like His Son, Jesus Christ, as we seek less of ourselves. And Matt Chandler was talking, I heard him this week, just pushing uh, an, an app called Dwell, and it's one where you can listen to the Word of God just 
there's a guy, he's got an African dialect, Felix. There's some ambient music in the background. And it was wonderful for me to just be able to hear God's word spoken over me. And so I don't know what your routine looks like. I don't know how you get fed by this each and every day. I hope you do. I know it's a struggle. I know our lives can be busy, but there are so many resources out there. Download an app. <laughs> Buy a better Bible. If the one you have is too small of a text, I don't know what you got to do, but this, this is the most important thing. Rivercrest will always go to the Word of God for what we're going to do. It's not our lives that we choose to live with this on the side. This is how we're supposed to live. So there are tools out there. Take a Bible and share it with somebody. That's the greatest news we could ever give them is the gospel, and this is where we find it. So if, you, if you want to know the promises of God, the mission of God, the wonderful truths of God, the calling he has for your life, read his word. So if we look back to our text, just as we read, the author of Acts, Luke, he's writing to Theophilus, cool name, verse 1, so we may know what's going on. He's giving us an account of the Acts of the Apostles, right? So chapter 1, we still have Jesus. There's some red text in there. This is wonderful, redemptive history that we're studying here. And I love the disciples here. Every time I, I get up here, I think I try to put us in the shoes of somebody that we're reading about. So if you can, if you can think for a second about the, the situation the disciples are in, briefly put us, ourselves in their shoes. They've been called by Jesus. They've been doing ministry with him for three years or so, walked with him, seen him walk on water, perform miracles, save people from death to life. I mean, he is truly who he says he was. But then... There's a week of, of hardship. They're betrayed. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's crucified. He dies on the cross. And they go into mourning. It seems like the ministry of Jesus has failed. The truth of God is doubted. I'm sure they're left hopeless, unsure. Then they hear he's alive. They witness firsthand the resurrection, resurrected Prince of Peace. He touches them. He eats with them. Luke says that in verse 3, he was with them for 40 days, appearing to many people. So this wasn't a hallucination or a trick. This wasn't a dream that they'd made up, that Jesus was alive. He's back, and his promises have been fulfilled. He's, it's true. His divinity is proven. He is the Son of God, and salvation has truly been accomplished, and it's absolutely wonderful. And then they start to wonder what's next. If you caught that in verse 6. And I, we can be like this too. And I think this is so crucial to understanding the mission of God. If we, if we come here today and, and we're trying to get an understanding and a grasp of what biblical mission is, I think that the disciples' question here is vital and Jesus' response is even better. But I think knowing, knowing where the disciples have been and that Jesus is back... I think a fair question is, what's next? What are, what are we doing here? Jesus, you're here for 40 days. What's the plan? He's risen from the grave. Sin and death have been defeated. Why are we still here? What's the plan of God? Eternal life and glorification, we look forward to when those are coming, but why are we here? Why do we still live on this earth? Why not yet? We've, you've probably heard the already not yet kingdom. That's what we live in. Why, why not yet, God? And these are fair questions. And I think we can think that the plan, this mission of God doesn't involve us or that we're not necessary. I was working at a camp one summer. I was a lifeguard, but before campers showed up, 
there was a deep cleaning of the camp, right? So I scrubbed the pool. There's nobody to watch. There's no duty for a lifeguard. So my job was with a bunch of other people to go and do hard manual labor. It was super fun. We had to, you know, rake gravel, cut down trees, move big rocks. I mean, we're, we're in the Rocky Mountains, so it's kind of, everything was, everything was a challenge. And I remember, <laughs> I remember we were walking with this project manager, and, you know, there's dozens of us. And he's, you know, go grab a chainsaw, go that way, go do, go do this thing. And I'm still walking with him. And then we get in front of the nurse's station. And he's like, all right, we're going to put in a gate. And for the gate, we need a post. Okay, we need a, we need a hole for the post. Um, and so he has this giant iron rod. And he hands it to me. And I'm thinking, I mean, you, I do not have the upper body strength for a task like this. This is clearly the hardest job. I don't know how this tool gets the job done here. It's rock. It's rocks. It's a rocky mountain, and I'm digging a hole with an iron rod. Um, this was not the job that I thought I was going to be given that day. Everybody just keeps on walking. I'm, I'm alone. I mean, I'm hitting the ground, and there's sparks. There's, I don't know how this is going to happen. I made almost no progress. Someone had to come bring me water. It was embarrassing. But we got it done. And I think, I think the disciples thought similarly to the way that I did. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Israel, his invisible church, the converted and yet to be converted elect needs restoring. We know this. Jesus has risen from the grave. We're with him and we know he's good. So we'll wait for him to handle the task at hand. It's his job, right? It's his mission. We just, we're just saved. His job is to restore, redeem, set things right, his mission, and we're ready for him to complete it. To understand biblical mission, we need to look at Jesus' response in verses 7 and 8. Verse 7, it says, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. We see an immediate connection to the Father. And Jesus even says, Matthew 24, 36, But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. This is talking about end times when Jesus is going to come back, right? When things are going to be reconciled back to God in glorification, not even Jesus knows. So he's telling them, you don't know what you're asking. This isn't the right response here. There's the submission to the Father. We see it through Jesus. This is not, this is not what, what they should be asking. You're missing the point. It's not for you to know. It's not what God's planned for you. To figure out what has been set apart only by the Father from eternity. And then he says in verse 8, and I love verse 8, this is where we're highlighting the whole series here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You catch that he gives them a task. Just like when I was handed that iron rod, they were given a task that they were not expecting. John Calvin writes, in his verse about in his in his commentary about this verse, he says that Jesus corrects two errors by the disciples. The first one being, Jesus showed that they must fight before they can triumph. Second, that the nature of Christ's kingdom was of another sort than they judged it to have been. See, the task given to them is one given to all those who believe and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will be my witnesses. We are commanded to be witnesses with our new saved lives in Christ. Witnesses of what? of the good news of the gospel, the gospel that saves sinners, the one that brought you from death to life. And there's two questions now that I want to address, and then we'll lead into a, a relational proximity of 
of what we're going to be landing in this week. We're going to hit, we're going to hit different relational proximities throughout this next couple weeks. But those two questions I want to, well, I want to address first. And again, I think they're fair questions. Why me? And how? Why am I called to this mission? Well, I, you've been chosen. The apostles and the disciples chosen in verse 2 to take the instruction and the teaching of Jesus, rightly understand it, obey him by his Holy Spirit, and in the same likeness, we are chosen by God unto salvation and to newness of life, to read his word, to learn what the gospel is, and what we believe in the teaching of Christ, to live unto him. We are witnesses because God says we are. So if you're a Christian, you should know what the gospel is. You should be able to articulate it. You should be able to be proud of it, proclaim it, talk about it. If you've witnessed going from death to life, if you know what the Holy Spirit has done for you, you're called to this mission. Isn't it just for the pastors and the elders, though? Isn't it for those who are like, you know, officers in the church? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also for you. Isn't it for the outgoing and the extroverted, the ones who can make friends really easily, for the theologically sound who can answer any question, for the one who isn't so busy, whose kids' schedules uh, aren't getting in the way, who don't work so much, for the experienced and wiser Christian? Isn't that what God's mission, aren't those the ones who are called to it? If you've convinced yourself that you're not good at evangelism and living missionally, that you're not gifted in the affairs of making friends and answering questions, if this leads you to apathy and a poor spiritual posture, then you must recognize that you are claiming that God's plan to use you. You who are filled with his Holy Spirit, that you're claiming his plan is wrong. I'm not very good with people. I don't, I don't know enough about the Bible. These are excuses and wrong claims against the missio day we're talking about, the mission of God. Christian, grow in these things. God did not make a mistake in saving you. And as a result, he works through you to reach others. Maybe you can recall in your life when you first heard the gospel. Maybe you can remember the time when somebody told you about what it means to know Jesus Christ and the death on the cross that saved you from your sin. Do you remember how they did it? Do you remember what they said? Maybe it was a lot of people. Maybe it was a process. But somebody opened their mouth and told you the gospel. Why can't we do the same now? And why don't we? Or maybe you do, and keep going, please. Your life and your priorities may have to change in order for you to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mine certainly does. I am not exempt from this. If you are not on mission, then make change happen. To participate in this mission, you don't have to be spiritually gifted or the most knowledgeable or the most outgoing, but you need to be available, an initiator, and most of all, and this is the most important one, and it's a free gift, you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's in you. This is the same Spirit that leads us each and every day. It's the Lord himself, meaning you have victory and freedom through him already. God accomplishes what we cannot do what we think is impossible. He works through the word of God to bring us and others to repentance and faith. What a privilege it is to partner with him in his mission, that he would use broken sinners like us to reach his lost children. 
You are powerful, Christian, because of the creator of the universe. He's come upon you, he's in you, and he will use you as you're obedient in his mission. We're all called to this privileged work, wherever we are. The one who can do all things and is sovereign over all things has chosen you to make disciples, to make the gospel known. It's a mystery. But we're entrusted with this task, and by his Holy Spirit, we will witness. That second question, how do we do it? How do we witness? How can I be on mission? We become accustomed to believing that witnessing is only being nice. That's what I do. If I'm nice and I smile and I'm not that bad, I go to church. It's not witnessing. It's not what Jesus has called you to do. It's not what he saved you into. Most of us have grown up in the church, spent 25 plus years in the church, yet have little to no experience in sharing the gospel. We've heard it many times and yet have not joined in on the mission. And we can think of a courtroom, right? Of a witness being called to the stand. They give an account for what they've seen and know to be true. It's a proclamation, an explanation, a verbal testimony. I worked for the city of Columbia. We would write proclamations all the time for any number of things. Some of them weren't that cool, but we wrote them. And they were for people to recognize and hear the importance of why they were, why they were written. And they were spoken, each one of them, by, by the mayor or whoever it was. They would speak and proclaim the things that were written down. And we proclaim things all the time. How good or bad that school district is. How wonderful this neighborhood is. Have you tried this grocery store? Man, it was awesome traveling here. Or you shouldn't go to that restaurant. This brand of clothing is really good. You should really get it. Man, that business does things really well. Their strategies are great. We proclaim all the time. We proclaim what we care about. We proclaim what we know. Do you care about the gospel? And do you care about those who are lost around you? Do you care about, you care about what God has called you into? And do you know it? What do you know about Christ? Man, that was a sobering thought this week for me. What do I know about him? What are the truths of Jesus Christ? What have you personally witnessed about the Son of God? What has he done for you? Do you believe what you claim to have witnessed or not? Are you eager to know more about him? There's an infinite amount to know about our Heavenly Father who loves us. Hebrews 1 tells us, you know, it's not the prophets anymore that tell us about God. That's the Old Testament. Now we live in this new covenant with Jesus who's given us direct access as our mediator. We know God. We can spend time with him. You could do it right now. You could pray in your chair to the one who knows you and loves you, who desires a relationship with you. It's so necessary for us to have those relationships um, be strengthened between us and God, that you would know him. So I mentioned earlier relational proximity. In verse 8, we see that the gospel is going to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we're taking each of those three sections and we're putting them into more of a a personal, um, relational place from the heart, right? Not geographical, as as the text would say. But I think think for the disciples, Jerusalem, that's where we're landing today, is, is a place where they're familiar. It's where their friends are, their family is, their lives have been. It's where Jesus has been teaching for so much of the time. So I think the very first place we need to start being on mission is in our own hearts. And I know that's weird. 
But I think we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, reminding ourselves of why we need a savior. Let us pursue individually the relationships that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross. That God really does want all of our lives, your life, my life, we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. An infinite God has put on flesh and taken our sorrows that we might know the riches of his grace. And the temptation is to believe that this isn't that big of a deal. The gospel, I heard that before, it's really good. Can't wait for Jesus to come back and, and fix everything. We, we rarely need reminding of this. I'll go every other Sunday or I'll, you know, I'll crack open the Bible when my life gets a little messy. That's our temptation. But Christian, we need this every day. We are prone to wander. Our flesh fails. Our hearts are deceitful. Our desires are wicked. Fight for the gospel to be prevailing in your thoughts and your words that are on your tongue each and every day. The good news is for you right now. And if you aren't living with it, dwelling with God, submitting to his command, forsaking all other ways of life, then you will not be an effective witness to anyone, to your spouse, to your children, to your church family. Ephesians 6, last week, we just talked about the armor of God. You're a spiritual battle. I don't like that thought, that I have to put on armor and be in a spiritual war, but that's what we're called into. We have, our, we have victory in Jesus Christ already. Why would he tell us to put on armor? Because we have jobs to do. And there's an enemy that seeks to kill and destroy us. Please seek the Lord. I, 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 that was, it's just so important that we seek him that you would grow richly with God, that you would fill yourself with the knowledge of him that brings forth worship. Preaching the gospel to yourself, you're witnessing, you're proclaiming the good news. Then look to your own household. Who do you sleep beside at night? Who's in your home? Tell your spouse what you're learning about the Lord. Read the Bible to your children. That you both may be edified. How else will they know if we don't tell them? And how will we tell them if we can't articulate the gospel? We have kids running around in our homes, in this church building. They're sponges just taking everything in that we do. They are looking at our witness. So witness to them the glory of Christ is magnificent forgiveness. A beautiful display of mission is in John 1. John the Baptist is preaching the gospel. And Andrew, the disciple, he hears it. And Jesus is there. And he, Jesus invites him in. John 1.41 says, Andrew first found his brother Simon Peter. Said to him, we have found the Messiah. A few verses later, Jesus goes to Galilee, tells Philip, follow me. And he seeks out Nathanael. Tells him about the Son of God. These men seek out their family and their friends. They know they have the greatest news in history that brings eternal life. They bring them to Jesus. These men seek out their family. We all have lost people in our lives. If we're honest, we have lost parents, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, grandchildren, aunts, uncles. They don't know the hope of Jesus Christ. They haven't placed their faith in him. And as I'm saying that, you know the person that comes to mind that doesn't know the gospel, that doesn't believe in the truth. Do you know that you 
you have a direct and established connection to, to them and are able to share with them the gospel that leads them into everlasting life, that gives them freedom from their sin, that gives them hope and purpose and joy and value. Everything Fred prayed earlier, that's what the gospel combats, is those thoughts that who would care about me, who would love me, why am I here? They are blessed. Our lost family members are blessed that they have you. We have the sacrament of baptism to show and be reminded of that covenant promise for our children. They've been born into a family that professes Christ alone as their Savior. I want to encourage us to be on our knees for the salvation of our family members. To pray for them without ceasing. To be bold in our witness to those who belong to us. And I'm saying this, and I, there's loved ones that come to my mind. Ask them if you're, if, if you're unsure about what they believe about Jesus. The only one that can save them. Tell them the gospel, God's word, how vital it is that we engage with him. It's what I led with. And then we share it with our fellow believers here in the church. Our spiritually bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters that struggle with us, that witness to one another and to our family members. Let us encourage one another and pray for one another for the salvation of those whom we love. That when we would come here, we would be strengthened and encouraged. That you would bring somebody here who would be lost and they would meet somebody here who loves them unconditionally because they've received that from their Heavenly Father. We are a family here too. It's how you were reached. Somebody opened their mouth and told you the gospel and by God's mission and method of witness. And so I want to encourage that we're not alone in this. As we fight before we triumph, as we act in obedience, and as we wait, we witness to ourselves, to our families, and we need to keep faith. The Christian is called to both mission and faith, and the faith supports the mission. The mission demands an increase of faith. And this is not a blind faith. It's a faith in the creator and sustainer of the universe. And I heard a quote this week from J.C. Ryle. It says, True faith has nothing of merit about it, and in the highest sense cannot be called a work. It is but laying hold of a Savior's hand, leaning on a spouse's arm, receiving a physician's medicine. It brings with it nothing to Christ but a sinful man's soul gives nothing, contributes nothing, pays nothing, performs nothing. It only receives, takes, accepts, grasps, and embraces the glorious gift of justification which Christ bestows. And by renewed daily acts enjoys that gift. God has called us into his glorious mission and by faith we will carry on. Put on the armor of God. Know that you've been called into this work even if you don't think you're qualified. Believe that you were saved and have not been called home yet for this purpose, to see his Holy Spirit work through you. To witness spiritually damned and dead souls be brought to life. To join God in the renewal of all things. To grow with him as his child. To abide in him. To listen to him in his word. To increase in faith. To love him and enjoy him forever. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to be on mission. And by his grace we'll do it. Let's pray together. I'm Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we praise you. We've been saved into something greater than ourselves. You have accomplished what we could not and have, you've now brought us into your great plan of redemption. 
Lord, cause us to repent in ways we have wandered from you in, in this command. Let us, let us, just lead us to radical change in our lives where we decrease and you increase. Help us to see the need for the gospel in our lives each day. Remind us of your love. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. Save our lost family members and loved ones. You can do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. You are a good father and a wonderful savior. We love you. We pray this all in your name. Amen.